podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Road End Podcast. Each episode, we will speak to a new guest, get to know them and hear their stories about Liverpool Football Club. Hello everyone and welcome to Season 2 of the Road End Podcast. Today, I'm joined by former Red, Chris Kirkland. Chris was part of the brilliant era under Julier and Benitez. How are you today? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I put a little to it. Yeah, I'm a bit, bit low the last few days. I'm not going to lie because I, I had COVID again for the fifth time. Fifth. So, yeah, fifth time. So, I mean, the first time I got it, it nearly nearly finished us. Um, and then, yeah, this this one's not been as bad. But, yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's just not been able to do so. I know you can still technically go out, but my role with the foundation is anything at the club you, you, you can't go in sort of thing that you know their stances that you, you can't go in and I agree with that mate to be honest I know the world's obviously moving on and people you know have to do things sometimes but but not having a routine the last few days is yeah it's been really really difficult for me because I have to I have to keep busy and obviously we'll come on to that side of things with the addiction and stuff like that but I need to keep busy so yeah but I managed to get out today on a big walk I had to miss the session tonight with the foundation because my, my test is still just positive but mm. Um, I should be good to go tomorrow. So, yeah, can't wait to get back out and do stuff. Let's start with your career. You started off at Coventry as a young lad and obviously you moved on to Liverpool. You signed for Liverpool 2001 for £6 million, which at the time I'd say is a lot of money for a young English goalkeeper. How did you find that? Hi, mate. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, just to your to, to your right, the cop, I used to stand on the cop as a kid, as a seven-year-old, so... Yeah, always supported Liverpool. Used to come up to Anfield with my dad standing in the cop in them days, obviously. Um, so, but I didn't, didn't, I get asked this all the time. Never felt the pressure at it. You don't when you're younger. You, you, you're fearless. You know, all I wanted to do was train. I wanted to, to play. I wanted to improve. I knew I was coming to Liverpool uh, as number two um, with Jersey. So, Gerard Hullier told me that. But he just said, look, come to Liverpool and listen. I'd have walked up there. I supported them as a kid. So, but it was tough leaving Coventry. It was, as I said, it wasn't, you know, cut and dry. It was, you know, because I, I was playing. I, I loved Coventry. I was still young. I was scared about moving home, uh, moving from Leicester up to Liverpool. Um, luckily, I had my, my girlfriend, wife now with me. I think it could have been a lot more difficult if it had been on my own. And we all know when players move, sometimes the trappings and everything like that, it could have been a lot different. But thankfully, I was settled off the off the field. And listen, Liverpool's a... I, I knew it was a huge club and a massive club, but until you're actually inside the place and... I think it was the first pre-season we went to we went to Thailand, I think it was in Bangkok, and just the support worldwide for Liverpool Football Club it made you realise just wow, what a football club this is. So you're from Leicester, but I don't think people would have expected you as a boyhood a Liverpool fan. Now I've seen your Instagram post recently with your Liverpool top on. Let's just clarify, he's not just said it because he played for us. Uh, Twitter, <laughs> not Instagram, not on Instagram. Twitter, Twitter. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, I am, mate. Yeah. So red candy kit. Yeah, all my family were Leicester fans, obviously. Used to go to Filbert Street, to be fair, still watching Leicester. But yeah, that red kit, the red candy kit uh, from a youngster, that was it. I was, you know, I had the shin pads, I had everything, Liverpool shit. I was just Liverpool mad. Yeah, we used to travel up. We used to get the bus up from Hinkley, which is near Leicester, outside the cafe. Used to take six, seven hours to get up. The game used to get back about midnight. It was the best days ever. As a kid, my dad used to stand me in front of, you probably remember, you know, the white barriers that used to be yeah. in the... My dad used to stand me in front of one of them or I used to sit on it. And, oh, man, it was just... So when I actually signed for the club, I was still, as I said, I, I was still nervous and I still hadn't signed. And the day was ticking on a bit and Rick Parry, who was the, who was the chief, he said, are you OK? I said, look, can I just go down to the pitch? So I went and actually stood where I used to 
to stand as a kid and, and all the memories come back and the goosebumps and I just said to, to Rick, right, let's get let's get the deal done sort of thing. Love that. It's a brilliant story, that. True. You've worked under some like incredible managers, Julia and Benitez, most notable, um, during your time at Liverpool. So how were they different from each other? Couldn't be further different. Yeah, could not be. I'm sure you've heard stories. Listen, Rat, Gerard was, I, I'd always owned them. And he, he come back earlier day. It was international break when I signed, um, deadline day. And he was away in France and he flew back a day early to, to, to pick us up. Uh, so Phil Thompson's come and picked us up from the hotel. He said, I've got a surprise for you. Went to the airport and picked Gerard Hilly up. And, wow. you know, he's, yeah, so he come back a day earlier. Just to, He said, I wanted to settle you in, wanted to take you out for some food tonight. So... He was just, he, he was, he was just honestly an incredible person, brilliant manager, knew how to get the best out of you. His team talks were mesmerising. You just used to sit there, and he's all different team talks, but you just used to listen to every single word he said, and and you knew every single word he said was true as well. You knew he wasn't lying. You knew he wasn't, you know, messing you around or anything like that. It was just, I, I never heard one bad word. Listen, you get the odd player that that falls out of mode, but in general, ninety nine percent of players were. Loved playing for Jerry uh, for Gerard. Um, Raffles completely different. He just wanted football, football, football. Wasn't bothered about if you had issues off the pitch or you know you needed a day off to, to take your missus, a doctor, whatever. He just didn't want to know. He was just twenty four seven football. Um, yeah, and a lot of players clashed with Raffles. It was his way or no way. And listen, he's the manager, so if you don't adapt to that. Um, but I knew the writing was on the wall. I went for, I've always had English goalie coaches growing up at Liverpool, Coventry had Oggy and, and um, Jim Blythe went to Liverpool. Joe Corrigan was there and the training was hard. It was repetition. What I loved, what got me removed to Liverpool. Um, and then all of a sudden, Rafa coming, a Spanish goalie coach coming in, it was completely different. And Rafa actually took me for a session. It was my, I think it was actually one of his first sessions at the club. Uh, the players had finished and he said, right, come out. I want to take you for training. So straight away, the alarm bells were like ringing, thinking, what was the manager want to do? He's not even a goalie. Yeah. And he just had me like punching little things, little jabs. And I was thinking, oh my God. And then he put a couple of crosses and I've come out and caught them like I used to. And he went, no, don't want you catching the ball again. He said, I want you to punch everything. And I just thought, oh, this is just going to go from bad to worse. And it, and it did. You know, we, we used to be out there for like two, two and a half hours some days. And you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do a thing. It was just all shadow play. It was it was long sessions, but it was his. If you didn't adapt to it, you you're out of the team sort of thing. So it was it was difficult under Rafa, really really difficult to go from Gerard Hullier to to Rafa was chalk and cheese. The impression I get from other oh. ex pros as well, and they pretty much say the same thing. Um, Put it this way: if he wanted to sign me again in my career, not that he probably, not that he probably would have would have wanted to. Like I would not sign from again. <laughs> okay, so. What was your favourite moment at Liverpool? I know you sat with um, Neil Mellon at Istanbul, and that must have been unbelievable. But that's that's off the pitch, on the pitch. Yeah, well, what's listen, best for you? Yeah, signing for Liverpool. It, you know, it, it was the dream. You know, to to be standing on on the cop as a seven year old to then sign for the club you support as a kid was just unreal. Yeah, that'll never be beat. So signing for Liverpool the whole day coming up, as I said, really nervous. I'm still young, um, but luckily I had a good lady with me and and some family. But yeah. Signing for Liverpool and walking out and feel listening to you'll never walk alone as a Liverpool player was yeah that that I always say that people say what about you England clap nah, not for me it was always always signing for Liverpool good answer so you've made over two hundred and eighty career appearances barring the injuries obviously it could have been a lot more three hundred and fifty eight it was yeah so uh, I think that might have been Premier League yeah yeah right got you and then Championship yeah uh, yeah listen injuries were tough. 
particularly at Liverpool, that's the, that's the one big, big regret about my time at Liverpool. Uh, I got some serious injuries. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't injury prone. People say injury prone is when you do the same hamstring or you do the same thigh or you do the same car. You know, mine were different injuries every time and collision injuries. My knee, collision daily at Ebola at Crystal Palace, broke my wrist in training off a shot, broke my fingers, uh, did my back off just a, a routine exercise. With a, so, it, you know, people say, well, that's injury prone. It, it, it's serious. Injury prone to me more is the same injury over and over and over again. Pulling muscles. I never pulled muscle. I think I pulled one in my whole career. But these were, these were, so it was tough, really tough. And it's not until you look back at the time, you think, well, I'm young, old, but you're never the same again. After a serious injury, you're not, you're, you're never the same. You know, I'm talking serious injuries, cruciates, you know, back, back up operations and stuff like that. You, you're never quite the same again, but it's not until you probably get over 30 that you start to realise that, that, you know, you, you're not, you can't do the things that you used to do. I know that comes with age, but serious injuries really do, do change you sometimes, unfortunately. I was reading your dad put a bet on you to represent England. Is that true? It is true, yeah. So when I was, I used to be an outfielder, so I didn't go in goal until I was 13 and a half. I was never any good outfield. I was always on the bench as an outfielder. And the goalie got injured one day and because I was the only one on the bench, I had to go in goal uh, the first time I did it. And it was after that game my dad put the bet on. So never told me, didn't know about it. Kept it in his pants drawer for 13 years. The William Mill betting slip. And it was only the day before the game when, when I was making the England debut. Um, that I got asked and I said, look, I, I, I can't answer that. I don't know what, you know, you, you probably know more than me. So I ran with that and he said, yeah, it's true. But, you know, just forget about that and just concentrate on the game tomorrow. Brilliant. Mm. I love Ben's stories like that. There's been a few, in there. I think, Raw. I mean, the odds were crap, though. Like, going over this, there, there were only, mum and dad could afford £100. So there was a few of them that chipped in. But the odds were 100 to 1 and uh, £100. Pound. And bearing in mind... 100 I've to 1? Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. So if I'd have gone into the bookies with him, I think he'd have got about a million to one because I weren't in the best shape back then either. <laughs> Honestly, that's true. So, but yeah, I mean, they do their own work. And I, I know Rory's dad had a bet on him. They need to win the US Open. I think he won like yeah. 150 grand. I tried to get a bet on our daughter, Lucy, um, to be to win Wimbledon or to be a professional footballer for England, North Scotland and a lot of the odds. I mean, they do their own work then. Yeah. So, the odds are about six to one for her to do it. So yeah, they they they're not daft with the odds, but yeah, they, them odds are terrible. Really, really bad. Okay, I would have thought it was much more. Well, they, they'll turn around and say, "Well, no, it wasn't because you ended up doing it." Yeah. So there you go. For them, for them if they give us like, yeah. So, but but at the time, flipping out. Yeah, it was uh, it was harsh, very harsh. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, a little bit about mental health and speaking up as a man, which I'd say until I don't know, maybe the last few years, it's seen three years. Yeah, I'd say it's, I'd say it's seen as a weakness in men, and it's starting to be a little bit more out there now, which I'm really happy about. I'm proud about to do the same. Um, I've struggled massively, and this podcast for me was a distraction. Everyone has different things, and this for me has been a really good distraction because I love talking about football. I love talking to people about football, and also people like yourself. It it really helps. This is how I'm managing. So. I'd like to know when, at one point in your life, did you realise that, you know, you did have an issue and you need to do something about this? Yeah, well, obviously, when I moved to Liverpool, I was at Liverpool for five years and Wigan for six years. So we lived in the same area, same routine, you know, be it training back in the afternoon, take the dogs out for a walk. Lucy would Lucy come along in 2006, our daughter could walk her, drop off at nursery, pick her up after school, go to the school plays, all the important stuff. And then in 2012, I had to commute to, to Sheffield Wednesday and all that stopped, all the stuff that I'd been used to for 11 years off the pitch 
was completely different. And I was in the car for long periods myself. Winter months were awful. You'd get in the car when it was dark. You'd get home when it was dark. You wouldn't want to do anything when you got home because you knew you had to get up the next morning to travel. Like people do, listen, I'm not harping on and, and after sympathy because I had to leave early. It was just, it was a complete change of routine for me from 11 years to all of a sudden flipped 180 to something completely different. So it was it was tough. And two days before the first game, when I went to Sheffield Wednesday, so the last two years at Wigan, 2010 to 12, I wasn't playing. Not I was, I was fit. It was just that Roberto Martinez, uh, another Spanish manager, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't preferred, which happens in football. Fair enough. So when I went to Sheffield Wednesday, everyone was saying, well, what are they signed him for? He's not playing for two years. He's, he's injured. He's been injured for two years. I wasn't. I was fully fit. Just wasn't preferred. But ironically, two days before the first game of Sheffield Wednesday, I was flying pre-season. You know, I was felt the best I'd felt. Gone back to an English goalie coach and Andy Rhodes. Everything was set up. I was feeling sharper than I have done. And two days before the first game, I got a back injury and people say, well, that happens. But in my contract, because obviously Sheffield Wednesday were wary, there was a deal, there was a clause saying if I missed four games on the spin with my back, they could rip the deal up. Now, bearing in mind in the championship, that can be Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, yeah. eight, nine days. But I knew that wasn't an issue. But ironically, two days before, I think because I was nervous and tense in my back, so I took some painkillers to get through the game, played the game, played every game that season. Played 46 games in the championship. There was no yeah. issue, you know. So, but us, the painkillers not only helped with the pain to get me through that game, but they also cooled my anxiety. So, travelling and all that, I thought, well, yeah, I can do this now. So, I'll only take them on the days I have to travel over. Won't take them, but then we know like addictions do. They creep in more and more and more and more, and it become a regular thing until, you know, it become, I was taking a ridiculous amounts and, and, you know, I should, should be dead, really. So, it was 2012, so it was it, but it just changed you mentally and, you know, not wanting to do things and changing me as a person and, must, you know, just as much for me, but for the family as well, you know, but they didn't understand why. And obviously, when I come out in 2000, 2017 and retired through mental health, yeah, it was through mental health, but I sort of kept the tablets hidden. Yeah. You know, the pain hidden. So uh went to rehab in 2019 for tramadol addiction, opiate addiction, got off them, felt good. And then 2020, we all know what happened with, with COVID and the pandemic and lockdown. And what do you do when you're in the house all day and you're struggling, you can't do your routine again. You turn to things that, that you know, at the time seemed to help you, but in the long run, they don't. So, yeah, it was two, 2000. It was probably our, it was probably halfway through the season in 2012 that I thought, I'm, I'm relying on these. You know, it was the first thing I thought about in the, in the morning and the last thing I thought about at night. So that's when my, yeah, my, my mental health sort of went down. And then I was due to move back to Wigan in 2015. Deal was done. And then they pulled it last minute again, saying that they blame the same way your fitness records rubbish. And I was like, hold on a minute, I've just been and played every single game for two years. At Sheffield Wednesday, like I had the ninety-eight percent fitness record, not just in games but in training. So they 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 just obviously changed their mind and went with someone else. So when you're feeling bad and you get these knocks, it just makes you even worse mentally. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really really tough. And obviously, I can see from what you're doing now to let's say keep that focus. I can see obviously you're working with the LFC Foundation, but you're also doing the walks. Tell me about that. Yeah, I got one of the tops on it. That's, oh, only that's not deliberate, by the way. I've just noticed yeah. I've got it on. So, uh, yeah, it was Mark Crosley. Uh, I've always walked. So that was, uh, like I said before, when Lucy come along, I'd go out for hours with a pram and a dog. Always had dogs. So I've always loved walking. I've always loved being outdoors, fresh air and everything. So then Mark Crosley, he found himself out of work for the first time in 30-odd years. Uh, this was back in March 
back in January 2020, just before the pandemic. So his mate said, I'll come for a walk. And he was like, oh, I don't want to go for a walk for. Well, why don't I want to go for a walk? And he, and he openly admits that like, he never did during his career, but he went and loved it. Rang me, he said, look, you do a lot of walking, don't you? I went, yeah, I do. He went, oh, I'm loving it. He says, why don't we set something up? You know, I've got this idea. Would you be part of it? I says, not a problem. So, you know, there was a load of ex-footballers come on board. There was people we didn't know that got in touch and said, look, I've lost, I've lost so-and-so to suicide, mental health issues. Can I join on the walk? And it sort of grew and grew and grew. So more and more people got involved. We did golf days. We've done the coast to coast, done what else, done the three peaks. And we're just sorting out one. We've got a football charity game actually this June, but the following year we're going to do Kilimanjaro. So, yeah, it's just it's just the benefits of just getting out, walking, talking. You know, the, the Coast to Coast was filmed as well. That should be coming out soon. Premier League Sports filmed that. So that, that'll be good to see that. And, you know, and then obviously lockdown hit and that's all you could do. That's all anyone could do. Yeah. You know, the gym, all you could do was go out. So it, in a way it was... It was, you know, a blessing in disguise. It would set it up and it was helping people already for, for what was about to, you know, be two years of, of torture, really, weren't it? So when you get out there, what do you think about when you're on this? Or is it just a clear mind? Or do you, do you tend to find that you do overplay things? I, yeah, so that's why I'll go out for a walk. So, uh, you know, I know as soon as I get out there, sometimes I go, on, a lot of the time I go on my own. Like today, I went out 14 miles on my own today. Others, I'll go out with other people sometimes. But the trouble is nobody walks as quick as I do. I walk really quick. So I use it as a power walk because I can't run. I use it as a power walk, so I go quite quick. So I'm, yeah, I'm a selfish walker. So I get annoyed if somebody comes to water me and they walk like a snail. <laughs> um, but I, I go out as much as I can. And obviously having dogs and that. Any weather for me as well, people say, oh, I can't go out in the rain, but I love it. I love going out in any weather, cold, hot. Probably prefer the cold to the hot, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been great, and and there's a, you know what we do is then when we raise money, we'll send it to lesser known mental health charities. So instead of you know because when you give money to charity, you don't really know where it goes. So what yeah. we'll do is we'll, we'll buy 15 bikes for men's bereavement company, or we'll buy a bus to get um, sick kids to hospital, and so people can see exactly what we buy and where their money's gone to. So yeah, there's some big, real big plans coming up, um, and and some yeah massive events hopefully coming up. Great, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. You do work for the food banks as well, am I right in saying that? I noticed you do promote it. Yeah, so it's only been really since the last year or so, year and a half. So since I've stopped the stopped the, uh, the tram at all, you, you think clearer then. And listen, the food bank, I I, I hardly do anything. They, they do an amazing, amazing work. But yeah, I, you know, I try and do as much as I can to raise money. Uh, Cara's do, doing a walk. Um, so I, I put a thing on them, right, a walk and talk with Jamie Carragher and myself. And some bloke ended up paying about... 12 grand for it just for a 45 minute walk so after that went straight to the food banks yeah try and try and do it there'll be a lot more going on I did coaching sessions a few weeks back so right, I'll come and coach your keepers at whatever club you're at uh, grassroots if you do a big food collection we'll get the food bank down there and you know so we we've got some brilliant you know 100 bags 120 bags at some of the venues so yeah I'll try and do as much as I can now but compared to what they all do that work there you know, Rob and Dave and all them lot, I, I do a f- nothing compared to them. Yeah, they're, they're an absolute godsend. And... Oh, man. It's, yeah, it's, through, especially now. Oh, we do a lot of through the through the foundation as well. And, you know, I, during the pandemic as well, I was delivering for Daisy. So I was taking food out for Daisy UK to, to families and stuff. And they, and they were waiting on the doorstep for it. They were waiting on, you know, the, the kids with no clothes on. They were waiting for that. They knew what time I roughly got there every week and, to, to see that was, it honestly was heartbreaking. Oh, but it's gone even worse since then. Yeah. So without organisations like 
like S food banks and what they do, the, the world would be certainly a, a lot worse place. Yeah, it's it's scary and it hits home, doesn't it? It hits home. But you can't help think, can you? You can't help think that that's your kid or that's your that's your somebody you know. That's you know, it's it's it is when you think about it, it makes it sends shivers through your spine, like and, and not in a good way. Yeah, I know. Um, so for anyone who's listening, try your best to get involved with S Food Banks on Twitter, yeah. Instagram, everywhere. Um, flagpole corner match days, bring it in. Yeah, tram there, women's game, obviously Goodison. They're, they're everywhere and then they do it. They've jotted around Liverpool all week as well. Yeah. Different food banks, but yeah. And then I think you can donate if you go onto S Food Banks as a barcode where you can donate money to as well, which uh, which they can then obviously buy the food. So yeah, any, anything. People will just think, well, one tin's not going to make a difference. If I take one tin, it does. It does make a difference. It definitely does. I mean, so, yeah. 53,000 on that, we wouldn't be... Well, that's what I mean. It's easy when you say it, isn't it? But that's their aim. I've been speaking, that's their aim for one day for every fan that goes to the game to just take one tin and 53,000 tins imagine what that can do well I mentioned to Jen who works there um, yeah I'd love if the club could like put on their ticket sales for every ticket sale you must bring a tin or just something that, something yeah. along them lines it's not, it's not hard is it it's not no? hard, it's not not hard, hard I know obviously there'll be the, the safety element of it is the police will say well they can use that as weapons and they could throw you know they could, it all could kick it which I totally totally get but yeah. Surely, even the, the you know the idiots that do go to the games that want to cause trouble can surely see that you know just stop this for one minute and let's do some good for once and, and take a tin for the right reasons and not to try and early at someone. Well, having a look through obviously your past and your career and speaking about police, where were they in that derby with Leeds? Yeah, I mean, listen, the game should never have been on a Friday night. You know, they were all tanked up. It was, it was always something was always going to happen. We, we, you know, we were getting reports before the games and stuff. You know, don't get your car on your own after the game and don't do this and don't, you know. So we were getting reports before the even game, the game was kicked off. So yeah, it was just, just one of those mad moments, weren't it? In football, it was just, yeah, I was deflated, let a goal in, and I was like, oh, because it was quite late as well. And it was about 77th minute and literally just seen him last minute and weren't sure what happened. Um, and then obviously all hell broke loose. And, but I'll tell you what, that was horrible on the night, but. We actually had we we went to Ellen Road three months after, and that was my God, that was worse. That was yeah, did not did not look forward to that, and did not enjoy that day one bit. That was some place, isn't it? Oh my God, they, they had to put armed guards on the either post before the game. They told me that they'd had death threats at the hotel. They had to put a guard outside my room at night uh, in the hotel. It was, and then the the atmosphere. It was. I just didn't enjoy a second of it at all. I just could not wait to get out of the place. What did you think in Neil Warnock's comments after that? Did you have you ever spoke to him about it? Oh, have you not heard the story about this? No, one? I know he I know he said something daft about yeah. you went down too easy or I don't know, something yeah. along their lines. So, so I went I went into I went looking for him. So I heard that, I was already upset, I was wound up and still in shock, and then somebody told me that. It was I think it was my agent actually on the phone, so I know you heard what that idiot said. And then I just went into the dressing room and he was in his pants, he was in his white pants, like these massive white pants and you know, all the staff around us and all that, and I've just lunged at him, like pushed him over. He went flying over the desks onto the floor. Then all of a sudden, I had about 20 lead staff trying to get to me. And then all the police come in the tunnel. So, yeah, I heard about that, and that, that's what happened. Uh, he rang me a few days later. Sorry, I rang him a few days later, and I actually apologised for my actions. I said, listen, yeah. I still don't know what you said. You know, that's what riles fans up to comments like that for the next game and next game. So I had my, and I, but I just said, listen, I want to apologise. I shouldn't put my hands on you. shouldn't push you over. But yeah, I actually rang him a few days after. And for anyone who didn't know, there was an incident at Sheffield Wednesday Leeds, which is a massive derby. And oh, a fan come on the pitch and decided to uh, physically assault Chris, let's just say. 
Mm, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, certainly weren't, weren't nice. But listen, we've seen it how, how many times we've seen it happen since. It's yeah. just never happened. Should have, like you just said there, where were the police? Where were they? You know, and, and especially for a game like that, it was. Yeah, it was. It was certainly hostile. We are now going to do a quick fire round with our guests. This could be very controversial. Let's move on to the quick fire round. Let's move on yeah. to some positive stuff now. Um, cool. This is it's at the end. There's not much thinking going into it. It's just a few daft questions. Club or country? Club. Nice. Orange or apple juice? Listen, yeah, just on that one. Cool. Get asked a lot, and you know your clubs, your bread and butter. Your clubs, you know, you're in there, and listen. I know all the England fans pay money to go and watch the team, but so do your club fans. They go home and away. You know, all, I've been lucky enough to be at some brilliant clubs. Liverpool fans travelling their drove. Sheffield Wednesday fans sold out every away game they went to. So your clubs, your bread and butter. Playing for your country, massive privilege. And you know, if I'd have got more caps, I might. I'd have still said club. People said, "Well, yeah. if you got 100 caps for England, I, no, I'd have still said club." You know, so yeah, club, club for me. Good. Orange or apple juice? Orange. Julio Benitez, you've already answered this. <laughs> Gerard, yeah. By the way, it was yeah. It, obviously, we, we lost in them. If you, yeah. I went to. I went to his memorial and stuff like that. It just showed how much it was during COVID. So obviously there was only a few allowed there, but yeah, special man, special man. Neil Mellor talking about his goal against Arsenal or watch paint dry. Watch paint dry. <laughs> I was speaking to yeah. him on the last episode. <laughs> yeah. Watch paint dry. No, listen, he's a great lad. We get on, we get on great. And he, he helped me a lot, actually. Neil was one of the first that, that rang us when all the stuff come out about the, you know, he knew actually the first time as well. So when I went to rehab the first time, which nobody else did, I told Neil, and, and they had us straight around the house in and Becky and the kids. So he was the only one that knew the, in 2019 the real issue. Uh, and then again this time, obviously, he, yeah, listen, I've got, I've got, he's one of my favourite people to spend time with. As much as his Arsenal goal story annoys me and sends me to sleep, <laughs> he's, a, he's a great lad. Yeah, he's brilliant. I was, I really, really enjoyed the episode with him. Oh, he's just such yeah, a down to earth man. Oh, amazing. Yeah, he's a diamond. Yeah. And last but not least, Daily Dose Breakfast or Carol's Breakfast in Melwood. Do you know what? I've already been in the Daily Dose. Do you live around here, do you? <laughs> yeah, not far. Yeah, yeah. do I see? I'm, I'm, mate, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Kirby. I've got friends and family in Orton. So. Yeah, so my missus is always in the Daily Dose. I, I, um, I, do you know, because inside it's quite small. Yeah. I, and I'm like massive. So I get really claustrophobic in there. So I, I actually don't, and it, there's nothing, but the food's amazing. I get loads of t- yeah. takeaway omelettes. But I'm going to go for Carol's in the um, in the in the training ground, yeah. And Car- obviously, Carol still, you know, uh, does great work and stuff as well. Everyone yeah. loves it, don't they? Oh, mate, amazing! Right, Th- let's call that a pod there, Chris, because I know you've got stuff on, and I only do a quick few just to just to um, turn the screw a little bit. But yeah, I'd just like to thank you for your time again, and, and thanks for your donation as well, mate, to the food banks. Uh, Jen told me that they got there and stuff, so. Uh, mate, obviously that'll help a lot for them to really appreciate that. Thank you. No, that's honestly, it's fine. That's the least I can do and it's the least anyone can do, in my opinion. Although money is tight at the moment, a tin, you know, let's just let's just get involved. But yeah, I just wish you well with your future, mate, and, you know, stay on top of things and keep being you and getting out there when you need to. Yeah, you too, mate, as well. I'm glad you're doing well. As I just said, you know, my, my phone's always on in the DMs, so send us a message if you if I can ever do anything for you as well. Thanks, top man. Take care, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone for listening in to today's podcast and thank you to our amazing guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Don't forget to follow us on social media, twitter.com 
forward slash the road end pod and on Instagram, Instagram slash the road end pod.